Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message. Uh, here's what I actually want to do, though, this morning. I want to talk to you out of a new series that we're doing here for the month of November. Uh, we're going to be hanging out in Ephesians. We're going to preach the whole letter of Ephesians. Uh, Emily Snyder and I, we're going to tag team this series. That's right, Emily Snyder. High fives. We're going to tag team this series, and we're just going to walk through the letter of Ephesians over the next four weeks. So if you want to just spend some time there. That would be really, really good and be helpful. And uh, I'm just going to take one section out of chapter one this morning. And I want to talk to you this morning a little bit uh, out of a message that I'm calling Every Spiritual Blessing. And uh, hopefully here in a moment, you'll see why we're calling this message that. It's a piece of the text this morning. Uh, Here's what I need you to know before we get into the text and read the text this morning. Um, the first thing you need to know is this is, uh, this is a letter or this is a text that the Apostle Paul wrote um, and it goes, uh, it goes back to an area that he actually ministered in. So Paul traveled around and one of the places that he went was this little area of Asia Minor called Ephesus and he wasn't there for a short while. It's one of the few places where the Apostle Paul actually put down some roots And from what we can gather in the book of Acts, specifically Acts chapter 19, so if you read Ephesians, you kind of need to go back and read Acts chapter 19. They go together because it tells the story of Paul first going there. And what you find out is that Paul stayed there for two years. Okay, Uh, Paul didn't normally stay places for very long. He would go, uh, he would preach the gospel, people would respond. He'd be like, well, you look like a decent person. You could be the pastor and why don't we get some elders? And then he just would keep going on, right? Uh, But he didn't do that. He stayed for about two years in Ephesus, and some remarkable things happened in Ephesus. And you just kind of have to keep this in the back of your mind as we process through this letter, right? Um, A couple things that are of note. Number one, Luke tells us in Acts chapter 19 that Paul did many crazy miracles or unusual miracles in Ephesus, uh, which which is sort of funny, right? It's like, well, what's... What's a normal miracle? You know, it's like, okay, there's normal miracles. And by, by New Testament or, or what we might consider like apostolic standards, normal miracles would be, you know, blind people sealing, seeing, sealing, blind people sealing. It's my new band I'm starting. Or lame people walking, uh, lost people coming into the good news of Jesus. Like, this is, this is the normal stuff, right? But really strange things happened with Paul in Ephesus. Like he could send out a handkerchief. People would take a handkerchief from Paul to someone who's sick, and they would just get well. Like, isn't that weird and kind of great? Like, I don't know what that means, but I like it, you know? And so that happens in Ephesus. And then the other thing that you need to know that happens in Ephesus, and this is really important, uh, there was a lot of, I guess you could say, civic uproar, and Paul's at the center of it. So it goes kind of like this. Paul comes in, he preaches the gospel, and the gospel is basically this. Uh, good news, good news, 
Uh, the rule and reign of God is among us. Uh, read for that. It is not the rule and reign of Caesar that matters. It is not the rule and reign of the local deities that matter. It is King Jesus, right? So Paul comes in with this message, and a lot of people begin to believe it. And they begin to believe it so much that they let go of their, I guess you could say, just their, their, their cultural reflexes or the, the historic ways in which they used to worship. They began to let go of them as they began to, to lay hold of Christ Jesus. Does this make sense? And one of the things that was happening in Ephesus, uh, as would have happened at almost all the places that Paul went, was there was all kinds of just various gods around. And, and, and those people would maybe have like little idols or little shrines in their homes uh, that were reserved for various gods. But because the gospel was going out with such power and with uh, such acceptance in this area of Ephesus, people were no longer buying gods. They were no longer having their little shrines. And because of this, it created an economic uproar in Ephesus. Uh, everybody who was a silversmith or a blacksmith or a metalsmith, all the smiths, you know, they were upset because it's like, well, what are we going to do? Like, we can't sell gods anymore. The Christian thing is taken off. And they worship like the invisible one true God who made himself manifest at one point in the person of Jesus. And now we, like, we just, we've let it go. And so this one silversmith in, gen, in, in, specific, in particular, he comes out really hard against Paul. And the whole, the whole city comes into an uproar. And at one point they're like, in this Colosseum and the entire city, it's like it's kind of divided. And, and half of the room is, is sort of like yelling, uh, great, is, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. You know, you can imagine this sort of thing. And, and I want you to kind of get this picture. While this is happening, the Apostle Paul is just like slipping out the back door, you know? Yeah, you have to realize this is the sort of like world that, that surrounded the ministry of Paul, especially in Ephesus. And these are the people that he's writing back to, like people who experienced uh, the good news of the gospel, people who experienced the power of the gospel, and people who had uh, let go of previous connections with gods and goddesses to the point that it created economic and civic uproar. Does this make sense? Okay, good. There's one thing you got to know. Uh, the other thing you have to know is that everything we're going to read for the next few weeks, uh, these are things that the Apostle Paul wrote from jail. He wrote these words from jail. And here's what I've been thinking about uh, all week long. Uh, you wouldn't know that Paul was in jail from his tone. You know, I, I've actually been very particularly challenged by this. You read the letter of Ephesians, you have to know he's in jail. But if you're just like picking up the text and, you know, doing a quick skim or, you know, doing a little morning devotion... There's nothing in the text in terms of tone that would hint to you that this man was a prisoner. That's just very, very challenging. It tells me that Paul is living in a different world. He's living in some sort of a different place. And, I, you know, that's a place I hope to one day be able to get, get into myself. Um, I'll just be honest with you uh, here pastorally for a second. I've had a tough, tough couple weeks. I've been through the meat grinder in about the last three weeks. It's been one really, really challenging thing after another. And if I were going to write a letter to the church, or if I were going to you would know it. <laughs> you would pick it up. Like, you would find it in the tone. So I just find this very, very challenging. And one of the things 
that you have to see uh, in the text that we're about to read is that Paul opens up this letter from prison to people that he knows and loves, and he opens it up with really, it, it's praise and worship. And that's also very, very challenging. We're going to see that uh, this morning as well. Uh, if you want to take notes, uh, here's what you can do. Here's the outline for the morning. If you want to take notes, you can just sort of like build yourself a little outline like this, accepted, forgiven, and inheritance. If you write those three things down, we're going to eventually work our way through them. And as we read the text this morning, I hope that you see these things and can kind of already see where we're going. Accepted, forgiven, and inheritance. Let's go ahead and put up the scripture. This is how it starts. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. All praise to God. See, here we are. Three, verse 3, we're, he's right into praise and worship from jail, okay? All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave us our sins. He has showered us, he has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is that plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we're united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews, who were the first to trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he, identi he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. That's our text this morning. So here's what I want to do. I just want to walk through the text this morning, and I want to work off of this little outline of accepted, forgiven, and inheritance. But first, uh, I, I need to point out how this passage opens. I need to point out how this passage opens. I even had it in bold print. Paul opens up with praise, and then he says something that's really cool, but it, maybe it's a bit nebulous. Paul says that we've already been blessed. I don't know if you saw that. He says we've already been blessed, as in, like, 
past tense, it's already something that's happened, right? And you might be thinking, well, we've already been blessed with what? What have we already been blessed with? And then Paul says something else that's equally cool and somewhat nebulous. Paul says, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the spiritual realms. Okay, Uh, how many of you know that sounds really cool, but I have no idea what that is? How many of you have ever read that and go, that sounds great. I don't know what that is, you know? Well, uh, I just want to... I want to confess something to you. Uh, for a long time, I read that and be like, that sounds cool. I don't know what that is. But, but here's what I've learned after interacting with the Bible for a few years. I've learned anytime you come to a spot in the Bible where you don't know what is happening, or anytime something in the Bible causes you to have a question, the first place to look for answers is in the very place where you receive the question. Does that make sense? You know, it's that... It's that old literary device called context clues. So Paul says, you've already been blessed, church. And uh, the blessing that you already have is, well, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly realms. And you might be thinking, well, what is that? And the thing you have to do is you have to keep reading because the passage will define for us what it means to be blessed with spiritual blessing in the spiritual realms. The answer to that question is everything that follows, and it's specifically what follows in verses 4 and 5. So if we could put verses 4 and 5 back up, that would be great. What does it mean to be blessed with every spiritual blessing in the spiritual realms? Well, it's in verses 4 and 5 and everything that follows, but the main thing that it is is this. It's that we're loved, that we're accepted, and that we're adopted. What, is it, what does it mean to have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms? What does it mean to be united with Christ? Well, you just keep reading. Look at verse 4. Even before he made the world, what? God loved us. It's to be loved by God. And he chose us. It's to be chosen by God. To be holy and without fault. And then look at number 5. God decided in advance to what? Adopt us. You're loved, you're chosen, you're accepted, and you're adopted. What does it mean to already have every spiritual blessing? Well, this is what it means to be loved, to be chosen, and to be adopted. And by the way, when we talk about like real, um, real spiritual truth, when we talk about the things that really heal us on the inside, aren't we always talking about issues of love and acceptance and adoption? That's, that's always what we're talking about. And, and here's the good news for everybody who's in the room, whether you know it or whether you don't. The good news is you're already loved, you're already chosen, you're already accepted, you're already adopted, and, and it's not something new, it's something that's been going on for a really long time. And by the way, Paul says this is all settled already. And you might be asking, well, how settled? Well, here's how settled. Before the world was made. That's how settled. In other translations, it says, before the foundations of the world, God loved us. Uh, This is not some new thing. Uh, No one in here performed yesterday in a way that really impressed God, and he was like, you know what? You did a great job, and I love you. You have really won my heart, you know? Uh, No one here, when you you went on a good stretch for a couple months and you you didn't post anything negative on Facebook... (laughs) 
and you didn't look at pornography for a day or two, and you didn't, you didn't hold a grudge against your neighbor, and you didn't have too much to drink. You know, Nobody here put a string of those things together uh, in such a way that really impressed God. And he was like, you know what? Now, now you're my son, and now you're my daughter, and now you can have my affection. No, long before, before you were even, before you were ever conceived, God knew you. That's what David says. And he didn't just know you, but he loved you. This is, this is what it means to receive every spiritual blessing in heavenly realms. It means, it means that God has, has known you and, and that he has loved you, he's chosen you, and he adopted you. And not only that, but if he did this all before the foundation of the world, it means that even your appearance into the world was of his own choosing, and you're not here by some accident. You're here because he wanted you to be here. And, and even the manifestation of your being is of his own choosing, of his own desire, of his own pleasure, and of his love. This is the good news, by the way. This is the good news. It is settled. Your acceptance and love uh, from God is completely settled. You might not feel it, but your feelings are lying to you. Uh, feelings lie to you all the time. You can sincerely believe that, that you have lost favor with God and you'd be sincerely wrong. <laughs> Even before the foundation of the world, God was loving the world. Uh, before light pierced darkness, God was loving the world. Before Adam and Eve, God loved you. Uh, before you were born, uh, check this one out. Before anyone sinned, God loved you. Uh, before you sinned, God loved you. Uh, before you did anything good or bad, before you were useful, God loved you. Uh, before you were a bonehead, God loved you. And after you were a bonehead, while you were being a bonehead, and not just a moment before, but eternities before. That's what it means when he says, even before God made the world. Like we're talking about letting this thing slip into deep time, right? God loved you in deep time, before anything was happening. You and I were loved by God, we were accepted by God, and we were adopted by God. Uh, what is the blessing that Paul is praising God for? That's it, that you're loved, this is the good news, and by the way, this is the foundation of all things. This is the foundation of all things. Like the thing that we, that we always have to come back to and the thing that everything else will be built upon in the church or in the faith or in Jesus is this, that God loves the world, that God loves people, and that ultimately God loves me. And by the way, it sometimes takes a while to get to that last one. Some of us in here have no trouble believing that God loves some other people in this room, but you're like, I don't know about me, you know? This is the deep work of the Spirit, is to wake you up to the fact that God has loved you, chosen you, and adopted you into his family. And from there, Paul says, in verses 6 and 7, it, it moves on. Paul said, and I love this progression. This is kind of what wrecked me this week. Paul says, from there, that we're forgiven and redeemed. Look at verses 6. So we praise, why are we praising God? Because we're love accepted and adopted. So we praise God for the glorious grace he's poured out on us to, uh, who belong to his son. Look at seven. He's so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and he forgave us. Now here's what's interesting. Very, very interesting. Uh, it's interesting that we're loved and accepted first. Uh, do we need forgiving? Yeah, we need forgiving. Uh, do we need redeeming? Yeah, we need redeeming. Uh, do we need our, our debts canceled? 
Yes, we need our debts canceled. Yes to all of that. But the gospel is not that we had to be forgiven first. That is a perversion of his, of his embrace. You did not have to be accepted. You did not have to be uh, forgiven first. No, 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 no. That is a perversion of his embrace. You are forgiven only after you are loved, accepted, and adopted. This is the good news. Paul's progression here is not an accident. Uh, he's not just extemporaneously. I can't speak today. He's not just free-flowing. The progression matters. The gospel is not that you had to be forgiven first. We did not have to do anything to ever earn love. No one has ever earned love. No one has ever earned the actions of God. Nothing had to happen to be loved. God didn't have to fix us in order to love us. God forgives precisely because he loves This is the gospel. God does not love because he forgives. That's a perversion of his embrace. No, he forgives precisely because he first loves and first adopts. Ultimately, in in this passage, what we see is that embrace and acceptance and adoption, all of those things are the context for things like forgiveness. Or to say it another way, forgiveness is an expression of family. And isn't it true? Isn't it true? Isn't it true that the people you love the most in your family are also the ones you'll probably have to forgive the most? Isn't it? Even mediocre dads forgive their little kids. Jesus says something like that. I think he did, didn't he? He said, you know what? And he's talking to all the dads, by the way. He's like, even you dads who are evil, Jesus levels up here. He says, even you dads who are evil, you guys wouldn't give your little baby a stone if he asked for bread. And even you evil fathers wouldn't give your kid a snake, right? How much more does does the Father in heaven want to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Right? This is, what, this is like Jesus stuff. And this is, this is gospel stuff. No. The ones who are closest to us often are going to require more forgiveness. And that's why. Because the ones closest to us are the ones that we love. And it's love, acceptance, adoption. Those are family words. Those are the context for things like forgiveness. Here's one more thing about this little dynamic. If God is loving, embracing, and forgiving, and adopting, then his love and embrace is also not the same thing as agreement. This is really quiet in the text, but you, if you listen, you can hear it. I hope you see that in verses 4 and 5, God is loving, he is embracing, he's adopting, he's accepting. But, but... If Paul is moving on to verse 6 and 7, and if the same God who loves you, who embraces you, and who adopts you, if he's also the God who is forgiving you and canceling your debts, how many of you know that his love is not the same thing as agreement? That's actually quite important. No one's shouting on that point. Here's the thing, church. God's love is total and complete. But it's not just weakly nodding its head at us 
when we act in ways that are contrary to goodness. Some of us need to know that we do need God's forgiveness. Some of us in the room this morning need to know we do need to change, that we do need uh, to live in a new direction. Uh, And by the way, doing all of that stuff, feeling that, uh, feeling the conviction of the Spirit about an area or two in your life, that is not counter to the narrative of love. It is, it's just not. Uh, real love doesn't just say everything is okay, right? Real love says, no, there is a good way. And if you, if you or I or anyone begins to act in a way that is counter to goodness or to love or to the health of the community, well, then, like, something's got to change, you know? And these are the things that God becomes, comes in and gives us mercy and forgiveness for. Uh, you know, I, I'm a mediocre dad. Maybe not even a mediocre dad, I don't know. But I don't let my children harm one another. You know? Uh, if, if I let my children harm one another because I love them, I just became less than a mediocre dad. You know? And that's what we're seeing here. So God loves, accepts, he adopts, but he also forgives. And he also shows mercy. And he also. He also brings us into his family, and he cancels our debts. He shows us mercy. These are all good things, and it is also showing us that love is not the same thing as acceptance. Okay, then in verse 11, verse 11, we see that this thing is headed somewhere, and it's headed toward inheritance. It's headed toward inheritance. Furthermore, because we're uniting with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. Because he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. This whole thing of being accepted, being loved, being adopted by God, uh, it is going to pass through mercy and forgiveness, but it's headed towards somewhere else. And the other place that this is headed is inheritance. Which, by the way, makes sense, right? It makes sense that if God is adopting us into his family, that there'd be an inheritance. Isn't that right? Like, Uh, How many of you know that even adopted kids get an inheritance, right? Yeah, yeah. What kind of cruel father or mother would adopt kids and then cut them out, right? And it's certainly not the way God works. Certainly not the way God works. Paul Paul says, we've been united with Christ. By the way, in these 14 verses that we just read, Uh, he says something along the lines of united with Christ, made one with Christ. He says this over and over again. Did you guys notice that when we were reading it? It's like over and over and over. And sort of the theological term there would be be one of union. That'd be, if you read theological texts, you'll see these guys talk about union with Christ over and over again. And by the way, it's a really big deal. Uh, And this is also... This is like high-end, undiluted Pauline theology, right? So this is headed somewhere. It's headed somewhere uh, called inheritance uh, because we've been adopted into family. But it's actually better than just adopted. Paul says over and over again, we've been united with Christ. We've been made one. There's some sort of a union between you and I and Jesus Christ. And if you read this passage and then almost any other thing that Paul writes, this thing always comes up. And here's basically what he's saying in this idea. 
It's the idea that mysteriously, whatever God has done for his son, Jesus Christ, he has done for all of us. Whatever, whatever God has done in Jesus has been done for me. Whatever happened to Jesus has happened to you. Whatever happened to Jesus Christ will happen to all of us. And here's what that means. It means that Jesus is more than a symbol for us to be encouraged by. Way, way, way more than a symbol. Uh, it, means, it means something more. It means he somehow held us in his body. And it means this, that if Jesus lived died, was buried, and raised, then all of us have been made alive, we have died, we have, been we have been buried, and we have also been raised already. And why is this a big deal? Well, here's why. It's a point of hope. That's why. Like, some of us, some of us in the room are feeling rather dead. Anybody here feeling a little dead? Anybody here feeling stuck in your life in some moments? Uh, anybody have a portion or two of your life that you know should be better or you know should be further along. Anybody in here have some things that you just know this is not okay? And not only is this thing not okay, it's not even a situation. There's something in me that's not okay. And no matter what I do, it just feels like I, I'm not making ground over here, you know, or it seems really slow. Well, uh, here's the good news. Uh, Jesus Christ has been raised and so have you. So Already. It is going to happen, but mysteriously, because we have been united with Jesus, it is already at work. The very same Spirit, this is what Paul says in another passage, the same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead has what? It's given life to our mortal bodies. Come on. This is why this is such a big deal. What is the inheritance? The inheritance is being made one with Jesus and everything that's happened to him has happened to you and will continue to happen to you. This thing is going somewhere. And this is also why like, some of us are wanting to avoid death, right? It's like, I just want to avoid death. Well, here's the thing, guys. Ain't going to happen. And how do we know that? Because Jesus died. But the good news is Jesus was raised. And we will be raised. And the good news is all the things in your life right now that are currently alive, that need to die, they, they will die because Jesus died and he took them with him. And everything in your life that needs to be made alive and is currently not okay is going to be made alive and will be resurrected. And it will be made the true form of what it was truly made to be. Does this make sense? Like your life is eventually going to take the shape that it was created and destined to take the one that God dreamed of, the you that he loved from the foundation of the world will be the you that will exist for eternity. He will not give up on this dream for you or for the world. This is the inheritance. Maybe you're stuck in a rut of sin. Uh, good news, Jesus was crucified, buried, and then raised to life. The very places where you are stuck in sin uh, they have been crucified with Jesus. They've been hung on a cross. They've been counted powerless. And he has been raised. And the very power that raised him from the dead is already at work in you. This is the gospel. You've been raised up. I've been raised up. We've been seated in the heavenly places with Christ. Which means we've been seated, we've been in, we've been seated in the embrace of God. And you might be thinking, well, this sounds great, but it's kind of a far-fetched idea. How do I know that's even true? Well, here's how. We've been given a down payment. 
we've been given earnest money. Anybody know what earnest money is? Anybody here ever bought a piece of property or a house? You know, what's, what, what, is the, what does the seller need from you in order to make this contract anything? Give me a little skin, right? It's like, get in this game here just a little bit. Yeah, I remember the first time Heather and I bought a little house. Like, I was so stoked, you know, and I wanted to make sure that nobody else was going to buy that house out from underneath us because it was such a good deal. We bought this little house for $42,000. And I ran over. I ran as fast as I could. And, and I gave, I gave uh, the person that we were buying the house from, I gave them $1,000 uh, as earnest money to secure, to secure the contract that we could buy the house. And what does that mean? It means that if for some reason I don't keep up my end to bring the rest of the money, that person gets to keep the thousand, right? It's the down payment. Right, here's the good news. How do we know any of this inheritance or any of this union stuff or any of this, this stuff that's happened to Jesus is happening to us? How do we know any of that is real? Well, it's what Paul says at the end. Can we go to the next slide? Yeah. God has given us earnest money. And by the way, the earnest money is the Spirit. It's the Spirit. Look, verse 14. The Spirit is God's guarantee. And that word guarantee, uh, it's the same idea as earnest money. It's the down payment. Paul's saying the Spirit is the down payment that God is willing to put up to let you know that it's, this contract's going to come through, right? The Spirit is God's guarantee that He will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so that we'd praise and glorify him. How do we know that any of this is real? We've been given the guarantee of the Spirit. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, he says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except what? The Spirit, the Spirit helps them. Like, how many of you, how many of you in here, you in here believe that Jesus is Lord and you've like made that confession and it wasn't just like wrote but you actually believe it you like you looked around at all the other options and you were like Jesus is the one like you you looked at it maybe you read the Jesus story and you're like I can find no fault in Jesus and in fact I think he's got the way uh, the truth and the life and I want to live into that and I believe it and Jesus is Lord like uh, Washington is not the Lord Caesar's not the Lord uh, the president's not the Lord the Democrats are not the Lord the Republicans are not the Lord uh, the media is not the Lord social media is not the Lord uh, getting rich is not the Lord Jesus is the Lord right and how many of you have ever said that, and not just said it, but you actually believed it, and you even started to live one degree of your life uh, underneath his lordship? You're like, you know what? Because Jesus is the Lord, I'm going to, I'm going to like, uh, treat everybody as my neighbor, uh, even those who are way, way far away from me. That's basically the Jesus story, right? Everybody is my neighbor, and I'm going to tr- everybody's my neighbor. People who are really different than me, I'm going to treat them like my neighbor. Anybody ever done any of this stuff? Uh, yeah. You can't even do that unless the Spirit helps you, right? You can't do it. You, you, you can't even want to do it except that the Spirit helps you. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. No one can say that Jesus is Lord except the Spirit of God enables him. Yes, how many of us have confessed Jesus? How many of us have ever trusted him? Uh, how many of you have awakened at some moment to the love of God? Anybody here ever just had an awakening to the love of God? You cannot awaken to the love of God except that the Spirit reveals it to you. You can't. You can't. How many of of us here have ever seen the fruit of the Spirit grow in our lives over time? Anybody? Anybody here used to be like real angry and now you're not? 
Anybody here grown in in kindness? Right? Yeah. Uh, Anybody here have more patience for foolish people than you used to? You cannot have patience for foolish people unless the Spirit of God helps you. You cannot. You cannot. You will, listen, unless the Spirit of God helps you, you will not become more patient. You will become more angry, you know? Uh, unless the Spirit of God helps you, you will, not, you will not rant less on Facebook. You'll rant more, you know? The Spirit of the age is everything's terrible, you know? The Spirit of the age is uh, this politician is ruining my life. The Spirit of the age is my neighbor's dog is crapping in my front yard, you know? This, that's the Spirit of the age. You know, you can't give people kindness and grace. You'll, you'll just have one long Facebook feed of, like, trash heaps, you know? You'll never have more patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness. Listen, I'm convinced that the fruit of the Spirit that is most in need in our modern time is gentleness. And how many of you know you will not become a more gentle person unless the Spirit of God helps you? And if you become more gentle in an increasingly violent and uh, sharp time, uh, if that's happening in your life, it's because the down payment, the, you're receiving the down, the, your account is being filled up with the thing that's really going to come in. And one day, you're not going to be, you're not going to be like, uh, you're not going to just have these little glimpses of occasionally being like Jesus. We're headed towards a future where God's dream for every single person here is going to be completely and totally fulfilled. And you're not going to be a little bit like Jesus. You're going to be completely like the Lord. We're going to be in step with him. This is the good news. It's a sign of something much bigger and complete. That's what Paul says. Um, and I just want to throw in this other note here. N.T. Wright says that this passage, the one that we read this morning, it could be read and should be read in the light of the Old Testament narrative, especially the Exodus narrative. Uh, and it goes something like this, that God loved and made the world. That the world and people were all formed in his embrace. And the words like poured out or purchased our freedom with his blood in verses 6 and 7, those are words that should make us think of the Exodus narrative. Think blood on doorposts. And the inheritance that Paul talks about in verses 11 and 12 is the promised land. And the guarantee of the Spirit is just like the cloud by day and the fire by night. And just like they had signs that God was with them and that this thing is going somewhere, we too have signs and guarantees because we've come alive to the gospel. How many of you have ever read that Old Testament story and wished that you had a fire by night and a cloud by day? You do. It is the Holy Spirit. He's growing the fruit and the character and the power of Christ in you. You've awakened to the embrace of God. That is the ultimate cloud and the ultimate fire. One last question this morning. So where are you in this ark? The ark of loved, forgiven, and blessed with inheritance. Where are you? That'd be a good question. Where am I? Where are you in this ark of loved, forgiven, and blessed with inheritance? Uh, maybe you need awakened to the love of God. Maybe you do. Maybe this morning you need to, maybe you are waking up to the love of God this morning. That he cares for you and he loves you no matter what. Or maybe you're awakening this morning to the fact that you need mercy. Maybe you do need to be forgiven 
And maybe, maybe in order to receive the forgiveness of God, you need to acknowledge that you need forgiven. That there are actually things in your life that are out of step or contrary to the goodness or the good ways of God. Or perhaps you're awakening that he intends to gift you with inheritance, that he intends to make you one with Jesus, that he has in fact already done this. Maybe that's what you need to wake up to. Or maybe you were at one spot at one time in your life and now you've kind of like gone back to some other spot. Can I tell you, sometimes you just, you do this thing a couple times, you know? By a couple, I mean like (laughs) 68,000. You know, you'll awaken to the love of God. You will accept his mercy. Uh, You'll begin to believe and you'll begin to see all the ways in which you've been united with Jesus only to at certain points to like, kind of like lose it and you just have to go back to the beginning of like waking up to the love of God knowing that you need mercy like actually reaching out for his mercy and living into the inheritance that's what we're going to do this morning if you're on the ministry team come on up thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky if you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard you can follow us on social media Until next time.